Section 13 of The Letters of Mark Twain Complete. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Letters of Mark Twain Complete by Mark Twain. Volume 2. Chapter 12. Letters, 1872-73. to 73 mark twain in england london honors acquaintance with dr john brown a lecture triumph the gilded age clemens did in fact sail for england on the given date and was lavishly received there all literary london joined in giving him a good time he had not as yet been received seriously by the older american men of letters but england made no question as to his title to first rank already too they classified him as one of the human type of lincoln and reveled in him without stint howells writes in england rank fashion and culture rejoiced in him lord mayors lord chief justices and magnates of many kinds were his hosts he was treated so well and enjoyed it all so much that he could not write a book the kind of book he had planned. One could not poke fun at a country or a people that had welcomed him with open arms. He made plenty of notes at first, but presently gave up the book idea and devoted himself altogether to having a good time. He had one grievance. A publisher by the name of Houghton, a sort of literary harpy of which there were a great number in those days of defective copyright, not merely content with pilfering his early work, had reprinted, under the name of Mark Twain, the work of a mixed assortment of other humorists, an offensive volume bearing the title Screamers and Eye-Openers by Mark Twain. They besieged him to lecture in London and promised him overflowing houses. Artemus Ward, during his last days, had earned London by storm with his platform humor, and they promised Mark Twain even greater success. For some reason, however, he did not welcome the idea. Perhaps there was too much gaiety. To Mrs. Clemens he wrote, To Mrs. Clemens, in Hartford, London, September 15, 1872. Livy, darling, everybody says lecture, 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 but I have not the least idea of doing it. Certainly not at present. Mr. Dolby, who took Dickens to America, is coming to talk business to me tomorrow though I have sent him word once before that I can't be hired to talk here because I have no time to spare. There is too much sociability. I do not get along fast enough with work. Tomorrow I lunch with Mr. Toole and a member of Parliament. Toole is the most able comedian of the day, and then I am done for a while. On Tuesday I mean to hang a card to my key box inscribed gone out of the city for a week and then i shall go to work and work hard one can't be caught in a hive of four million people like this i have got such a perfectly delightful razor i have a notion to buy some for charlie theodore and slee for i know they have no such razors there i have got a neat little watch chain for annie twenty dollars i love you my darling my love to all of you Samuel. 
that mark twain should feel and privately report something of his triumphs we need not wonder at certainly he was never one to give himself airs but to have the world's great literary centre paying court to him who only ten years before had been penniless and unknown and who once had been a barefoot tom sawyer in hannibal was quite startling it is gratifying to find evidence of human weakness in the following heart-to-heart -heart letter to his publisher especially in view of the relating circumstances to elijah bliss in hartford london september twenty eighth eighteen seventy two friend bliss i have been received in a sort of tremendous way to-night by the brains of london assembled at the annual dinner of the sheriffs of london mine being between you and me a name which was received with a flattering outburst of spontaneous applause when the long list of guests was called i might have perished on the spot but for the friendly support and assistance of my excellent friend sir john bennett and i want you to paste the enclosed in a couple of the handsomest copies of the innocents and roughen it and send them to him his address is sir john bennett cheapside london yours truly s l clemens the relating circumstances were these at the above-mentioned dinner there had been a roll-call of the distinguished guests present and each name had been duly applauded clemens conversing in a whisper with his neighbor sir john bennett did not give very close attention to the names applauding mechanically with the others finally a name was read that brought out a vehement hand-clapping mark twain not to be outdone in cordiality joined vigorously and kept his hands going even after the others finished then remarking the general laughter he whispered to sir john whose name was that we were just applauding mark twain's we may believe that the friendly support of sir john bennett was welcome for the moment but the incident could do him no harm the diners regarded it as one of his jokes and enjoyed him all the more for it he was ready to go home by november but by no means had he had enough of england he really had some thought of returning there permanently in a letter to mrs crane at quarry farm he wrote if you and theodore will come over in the spring with livy and me and spend the summer you will see a country that is so beautiful that you will be obliged to believe in fairyland and theodore can browse with me among dusty old dens that look now as they looked five hundred years ago and puzzle over books in the british museum that were made before christ was born and in the customs of their public dinners and the ceremonies of every official act and the dresses of a thousand dignitaries trace the speech and manners of all the centuries that have dragged their lagging decades over england since the heptarchy fell asunder i would a good deal rather live here if i could get the rest of you over in a letter home to his mother and sister we get a further picture of his enjoyment to mrs jane clemens and mrs moffat london november sixth eighteen seventy two my dear mother and sister i have been so everlasting busy that i couldn't write and moreover i have been so unceasingly lazy that i couldn't have written anyhow i came here to take notes for a book but i haven't done much but attend dinners and make speeches 
but have had a jolly good time and i do hate to go away from these english folks they make a stranger feel entirely at home and they laugh so easily that it is a comfort to make after-dinner speeches here i have made hundreds of friends and last night in the crush of the opening of the new guildhall library and museum i was surprised to meet a familiar face every few steps nearly four thousand people of both sexes came and went during the evening so i had a good opportunity to make a great many new acquaintances livy is willing to come here with me next april and stay several months so i am going home next tuesday i would sail on saturday but that is the day of the lord mayor's annual grand state dinner when they say nine hundred of the great men of the city sit down to table a great many of them in their fine official and court paraphernalia so i must not miss it however i may yet change my mind and sail saturday i am looking at a fine magic lantern which will cost a deal of money and if i buy it sammy may come and learn to make the gas and work the machinery and paint pictures for it on glass i mean to give exhibitions for charitable purposes in hartford and charge a dollar a head in a hurry yours affectionately sam he sailed november twelfth on the batavia arriving in new york two weeks later there had been a presidential election in his absence general grant had defeated horace greeley a result in some measure at least attributed to the amusing and powerful pictures of the cartoonist thomas nast mark twain admired greeley's talents but he regarded him as poorly qualified for the nation's chief executive he wrote to thomas nast in morristown new jersey hartford november eighteen seventy two nast you more than any other man have won a prodigious victory for grant i mean rather for civilization and progress those pictures were simply marvelous and if any man in the land has a right to hold his head up and be honestly proud of his share in this year's vast events that man is unquestionably yourself we all do sincerely honor you and are proud of you mark twain perhaps mark twain was too busy at this time to write letters his success in england had made him more than ever popular in america and he could by no means keep up with the demands on him in january he contributed to the new york tribune some letters on the sandwich islands but as these were more properly articles they do not seem to belong here he refused to go on the lecture circuit though he permitted redpath to book him for any occasional appearance and it is due to one of these special engagements that we have the only letter preserved from this time it is to howells and written with that exaggeration with which he was likely to embellish his difficulties we are not called upon to believe that there were really any such demonstrations as those ascribed to warner and himself to w d howells in boston farmington avenue hartford february twenty seven my dear howells i am in a suite and warner is in another i told redpath some time ago i would lecture in boston any two days he might choose provided they were consecutive days i never dreamed of his choosing days during lent since that was his special horror but all at once he telegraphs me 
and hollers at me in all manner of ways that I am booked for Boston March 5 of all days in the year, and to make matters just as mixed and uncertain as possible, I can't find out to save my life whether he means to lecture me on the 6th or not. Warner's been in here swearing like a lunatic, and saying he had written you to come on the 4th, and I said, You leatherhead! If I talk in Boston both afternoon and evening March 5, I'll have to go to Boston the 4th. And then he just kicked up his heels and went off cursing after a fashion I never heard of before. Now let's just leave this thing to Providence for 24 hours. You bet it will come out all right. Yours ever, Mark. He was writing a book with Warner at this time, The Gilded Age the two authors having been challenged by their wives one night at dinner to write a better book than the current novels they had been discussing with some severity. Clemens already had a story in his mind, and Warner agreed to collaborate in the writing. It was begun without delay. Clemens wrote the first 399 pages and read them aloud to Warner, who took up the story at this point and continued it through twelve chapters, after which they worked alternately and with great enjoyment. They also worked rapidly, and in April the story was completed. For a collaboration by two men so different in temperament and literary method, it was a remarkable performance. Another thing Mark Twain did that winter was to buy some land on Farmington Avenue and begin the building of a home. He had by no means given up returning to England and made his plans to sail with Mrs. Clemens and Susie in May. Miss Clara Spaulding of Elmira, later Mrs. John B. Stanchfield of New York, a girlhood friend of Mrs. Clemens, was to accompany them. The Daily Graphic heard of the proposed journey, and wrote, asking for a farewell word. His characteristic reply is the only letter of any kind that has survived from that spring. To the editor of the Daily Graphic in New York City, Hartford, April 17, 1873 editor graphic your note is received if the following two lines which i have cut from it are your natural handwriting then i understand you to ask me for a farewell letter in the name of the american people bless you the joy of the american people is just a little premature i haven't gone yet and what is more i'm not going to stay when i do go yes it is true I am only going to remain beyond the sea six months. That is all. I love stir and excitement, and so the moment the spring birds begin to sing and the lagging weariness of summer to threaten, I grow restless. I get the fidgets. I want to pack off somewhere where there is something going on. But you know how that is. You must have felt that way. This very day I saw the signs in the air of the coming dullness, and I said to myself, how glad I am that I have already chartered a steamship. There was absolutely nothing in the morning papers. You can see for yourself what the telegraphic headings were. By telegraph, a father killed by his son, a bloody fight in Kentucky, a courthouse fired, and Negroes therein shot while escaping. A Louisiana massacre, an eight-year-old murderer, two to three hundred men roasted alive, a town in a state of general riot, 
a lively skirmish in indiana and thirty other similar headings the items under those headings all bear date yesterday april sixteen refer to your own paper and i give you my word of honor that that string of commonplace stuff was everything there was in the telegraphic columns that a body could call news well said i to myself this is getting pretty dull this is getting pretty dry there don't appear to be anything going on anywhere has this progressive nation gone to sleep have i got to stand another month of this torpidity before i can begin to browse among the lively capitals of europe but never mind things may revive while i'm away during the last two months my next-door neighbor charles dudley warner has dropped his backlog studies and he and i have written a bulky novel in partnership he has worked up the fiction and i have hurled in the facts i consider it one of the most astonishing novels that ever was written night after night i sit up reading it over and over again and crying it will be published early in the fall with plenty of pictures do you consider this an advertisement and if so do you charge for such things when a man is your friend yours truly samuel l clemens mark twain an amusing even if annoying incident happened about the time of mark twain's departure a man named chu related to twichell a most entertaining occurrence twichell saw great possibilities in it and suggested that mark twain be allowed to make a story of it sharing the profits with chu chu agreed and promised to send the facts carefully set down twichell in the meantime told the story to clemens who was delighted with it and strongly tempted to write it at once while he was in the spirit without waiting on chu fortunately he did not do so for when chu's material came it was in the form of a clipping the story having been already printed in some newspaper chu's knowledge of literary ethics would seem to have been slight he thought himself entitled to something under the agreement with twichell mark twain by this time in london naturally had a different opinion to rev j h twichell in hartford london june nine seventy three dear old joe i consider myself wholly at liberty to decline to pay chu anything and at the same time strongly tempted to sue him into the bargain for coming so near ruining me if he hadn't happened to send me that thing in print i would have used the story like an innocent fool and would straightway have been hounded to death as a plagiarist it would have absolutely destroyed me i cannot conceive of a man being such a hopeless ass after serving as a legislative reporter too as to imagine that i or any other literary man in his senses would consent to chew over old stuff that had already been in print if that man weren't an infant in swaddling clothes his only reply to our petition would have been it has been in print it makes me as mad as the very old harry every time i think of mr chew and the frightful and narrow escape i have had at his hands confound mr chew with all my heart i'm willing that he should have ten dollars for his trouble of warming over his cold victuals cheerfully willing to that but no more if i had had him near when his letter came i would have got out my tomahawk and gone for him 
he didn't tell the story half as well as you did, anyhow. I wish to goodness you were here this moment. Nobody in our parlor but Livy and me, and a very good view of London to the fore. We have a luxuriously ample suite of apartments in the Langham Hotel, third floor, our bedroom looking straight up Portland Place, and our parlor having a noble array of great windows looking out upon both streets, Portland Place and the crook that joins it to Regent Street. 9 p.m. Full twilight. Rich sunset tints lingering in the west. I'm not going to write anything. Rather tell it when I get back. I love you in harmony, and that is all the fresh news I've got, anyway. And I mean to keep that fresh all the time. Lovingly, Mark. P.S. Am luxuriating in glorious old Peep's diary and smoking. Letters are exceedingly scarce through all this period. Mark Twain, now on his second visit to London, was literally overwhelmed with honors and entertainment. His rooms at the Langham were like a court. Such men as Robert Browning, Turgenieff, Sir John Millay, and Charles Kingsley hastened to call. Kingsley and others gave him dinners. Mrs. Clemens to her sister wrote, It is perfectly discouraging to try to write you. The continuous excitement presently told on her. In July all further engagements were cancelled, and Clemens took his little family to Scotland for quiet and rest. They broke the journey at York, and it was there that Mark Twain wrote the only letter remaining from this time. Fragment of a letter to Mrs. Jervis Langdon of Elmira, New York For the present, we shall remain in this queer old-walled town, with its crooked, narrow lanes, that tell us of their old day that knew no wheeled vehicles, its plaster and timber dwellings, with upper stories far overhanging the street, and thus marking their date, say, three hundred years ago, the stately city walls, the castellated gates, the ivy-grown foliage sheltered, most noble and picturesque ruin of St. Mary's Abbey, suggesting their date, say, five hundred years ago, in the heart of crusading times and the glory of English chivalry and romance. The vast cathedral of York, with its worn carvings and quaintly pictured windows, preaching of still remoter days. The outlandish names of streets and courts and byways that stand as a record and a memorial all these centuries of Danish dominion here in still earlier times. The hint here and there of King Arthur and his knights and their bloody fights with Saxon oppressors round about this old city more than thirteen hundred years gone by. And last of all, the melancholy old stone coffins and sculptured inscriptions a venerable arch and a hoary tower of stone that still remain and are kissed by the sun and caressed by the shadows every day just as the sun and the shadows have kissed and caressed them every lagging day since the roman emperor's soldiers placed them here in the times when jesus the son of mary walked the streets of nazareth a youth with no more name or fame than the yorkshire boy who is loitering down this street this moment their destination was Edinburgh, where they remained a month. Mrs. Clemens' health gave way on their arrival there, 
and her husband, knowing the name of no other physician in the place, looked up Dr. John Brown, author of Rab and His Friends, and found in him not only a skillful practitioner, but a lovable companion to whom they all became deeply attached. Little Susie, now seventeen months old, became his special favorite. He named her Megalops, because of her great eyes. Mrs. Clemens regained her strength, and they returned to London. Clemens, still urged to lecture, finally agreed with George Dolby to a week's engagement, and added a promise that, after taking his wife and daughter back to America, he would return immediately for a more extended course. Dolby announced him to appear at the Queen's Concert Rooms, Hanover Square, for the week of October 13 through 18, his lecture to be the old Sandwich Islands talk that seven years before had brought him his first success. The Great Hall, the largest in London, was thronged at each appearance, and the papers declared that Mark Twain had no more than whetted the public appetite for his humor. Three days later, October 1873, Clemens, with his little party, sailed for home. Halfway across the ocean, he wrote the friend they had left in Scotland. To Dr. John Brown in Edinburgh, Mid-Atlantic, October 30, 1873. Our dear friend the doctor, we have ploughed a long way over the sea, and there is twenty-two hundred miles of restless water between us now, besides the railway stretch, and yet you are so present with us, so close to us, that a span and a whisper would bridge the distance. The first three days were stormy, and wife, child, maid, and Miss Spaulding were all seasick twenty-five hours out of the twenty-four, and I was sorry I ever started. However, it has been smooth and balmy, and sunny and altogether lovely for a day or two now, and at night there was a broad luminous highway stretching over the sea to the moon, over which the spirits of the sea are travelling up and down all through the secret night, and having a genuine good time, I make no doubt. Today they discovered a collie on board. I find, as per advertisement which I sent you, that they won't carry dogs in these ships at any price. This one has been concealed up to this time. Now his owner has to pay ten pounds or heave him overboard. Fortunately, the doggy is a performing doggy, and the money will be paid. So, after all, it was just as well you didn't entrust your collie to us. A poor little child died at midnight and was buried at dawn this morning, sheeted and shotted, and sunk in the middle of the lonely ocean in water three thousand fathoms deep. Pity the poor mother. With our love, S. L. Clemens. Mark Twain was back in London lecturing again at the Queen's Concert Rooms after barely a month's absence. Charles Warren Stoddard, whom he had known in California, shared his apartment at the Langham, and acted as his secretary, a very necessary office, for he was besieged by callers and bombarded with letters. He remained in London two months, lecturing steadily at Hanover Square to full houses. It is unlikely that there is any other platform record to match it. One letter of this period has been preserved. It is written to Twitchell, near the end of his engagement. To Rev. J. H. Twitchell in Hartford, London, January 5, 1874. My dear old Joe, 
I knew you would be likely to graduate into an ass if I came away, and so you have, if you have stopped smoking. However, I have a strong faith that it is not too late yet, and that the judiciously managed influence of a bad example will fetch you back again. I wish you had written me some news. Livy tells me precious little. She mainly writes to hurry me home and to tell me how much she respects me but she's generally pretty slow on news. I had a letter from her along with yours today, but she didn't tell me the book is out. However, it's all right. I hope to be home twenty days from today, and then I'll see her, and that will make up for a whole year's dearth of news. I am right down grateful that she is looking strong and lovelier than ever. I only wish I could see her look her level best once. I think it would be a vision. I have just spent a good part of this day browsing through the Royal Academy exhibition of Landseer's paintings. They fill four or five great salons and must number a good many hundreds. This is the only opportunity ever to see them because the finest of them belong to the Queen and she keeps them in her private apartments. Ah, they're wonderfully beautiful. There are such rich moonlights and dusks in the challenge and the combat, and in that long flight of birds across a lake in the subdued flush of sunset or sunrise, for no man can ever tell t'other from which in a picture, except it has the filmy morning mist breathing itself up from the water. And there is such a grave analytical profundity in the faces of the connoisseurs, and such pathos in the picture of the fawn suckling its dead mother on a snowy waste with only the blood and the footprints to hint that she is not asleep and the way he makes animals absolute flesh and blood insomuch that if the room were darkened ever so little and a motionless living animal placed beside a painted one no man could tell which was which i interrupted myself here to drop a line to shirley brooks and suggest a cartoon for punch it was this in one of the academy salons in the suite where these pictures are a fine bust of landseer stands on a pedestal in the centre of the room i suggest that some of landseer's best known animals be represented as having come down out of their frames in the moonlight and grouped themselves about the bust in mourning attitudes well old man i am powerful glad to hear from you and shall be powerful glad to see you in harmony I am not going to the provinces, because I cannot get halls that are large enough. I always felt cramped in Hanover Square rooms, but I find that everybody here speaks with awe and respect of that prodigious place, and wonder that I could fill it so long. I am hoping to be back in twenty days, but I have so much to go home to and enjoy with a jubilant joy that it seems hardly possible that it can ever come to pass in so uncertain a world as this. I have read the novel, The Gilded Age, published during his absence, December 1873, here, and I like it. I have made no inquiries about it, though. My interest in a book ceases with the printing of it. With a world of love, Samuel. End of section 13. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.